Welcome to the King's Table. Welcome to the King's Table, a podcast of Christ the Lord Church in Dayton, Ohio. The King's Table exists to help people know, love, and obey Jesus as Lord over all. From the altar table to the dinner table, the conference table to the pool table, because Jesus is Lord over all. Hey, welcome back to the table, guys. Today we're going to go back into one of our original streams of Membership 2.0 that we're kind of modifying to call nuts and bolts. What we're really trying to get into is taking those things that are fundamental to who we are as a church and instead of just defining them and kind of making you aware of them like we would do in membership class, really take them into some actual practical application of how are you going to see this in the culture of who we are as a church. And there's really no better way to launch into that than to talk about our distinctives. Uh, so today we're going to talk about our one of four distinctives that we have, and that's historical biblical Christianity. And inside of that, uh, we first have to kind of to talk about what is a distinctive. Like, yeah, that's what I was just thinking. We sh- we should talk like, yeah, what is a distinctive? Um, we we would define like a distinctive as certainly something that sets us apart. Um, but uh, like for us, a distinctive for us as a church is something that's unique to this moment in time that sets us apart from even other relatively good and faithful churches. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, it's 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 something that could change in five years. It could change in 20 years. Uh, I mean, hopefully some of these things change. Because, not necessarily content. But, yeah, uh, yeah. Not, not change as in, that's a good point, not change as in like, what do we believe concerning these things? Mm-hmm. But change as to what do we need to to draw to the surface? Emphasize. Yeah. yeah. At this time, at this place in history. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what we believe concerning these things wouldn't necessarily change, but depending on what's needed to be said in that moment of time or that season of life uh, would determine what distinctive. So when it comes to historical Christianity, what we're saying is that we see that a lot of churches around have adopted kind of novel ideas of Christianity, like novel ways of thinking about uh, things like female pastors, uh, supposedly female pastors, or uh, about gender ideologies, or those those kind of things. Or, or how they handle church discipline. Yeah, or, um, or uh, not. Dis- dispensationalism, mm-hmm. um, or... Yeah, the absence of church discipline. Is that was more my like point. It. Yes, <laughs> um, just yeah. So um, novel ways that's not been historically how the church has has uh, dealt with these things or has believed uh, uh, concerning these ideas. So mm-hmm. um, we want to say we're we want to say ours is tied to something historical. Yeah, and these are not meant to say that we are this and no one else is. It is more of a thing when people come to come across our our website, our church, or they you know start asking us questions at the door and say, "So, who are you guys?" These are the things that we want to kind of rise to the top. Yeah, exactly. Now, they may set us apart from the church down the road, or we may have them in common. And there are some things that we would hope that every church has, such as 
as a primary distinctive, such as this one, historical biblical Christianity, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but some of our other ones that we talk about, um, like gender roles is a big thing right now, and it, maybe it always should be a top thing, and that's why we're here now, because it wasn't before, mm-hmm. or maybe some of those things as they're settled can pass into the more tertiary background and as other things come forward. So some of these things are really just locked into time, and, uh, and that's why we're tackling that. So today's is historical biblical Christianity. We're really after that kind of picture there. And I, I think you can kind of understand just without us defining each of those as, as we're going to in a little bit. Historical biblical Christianity is, is talking about kind of that, that treasure of the faith of the past that we have that's handed down from generation to generation. It's centered in the scriptures. It's guarded by the church and it's for God's people, right? That would kind of be just a a romantic summary, I suppose, of, of what that is. And, and one of the things that we've noticed before we get into kind of walking through all of those individual components is that this feels to me, uh, in my ministry and as I look around at the church at large, like something that was missing. Like, it, I, I, I grew up in church, uh, and, and they were faithful to the scriptures, and, and I'm thankful for that. But general kind of, as we've talked about before, pietistic faithfulness was really all that was there. And while I'm thankful for that, I think that has, has guarded me and, and shaped me in many ways. There is just a lot missing that I really needed to have underneath me to support me. To, this, this, uh, Dr. Muller would say, uh, convictions are something that holds you and beliefs are something that you hold. So I needed those convictions that would hold me up in ministry, in early ministry. And I just was really struggling to find that at first. Because I didn't feel like I had this confessional faith that was passed on to me. Yeah. But I feel like there's there's some generational failure that we can kind of uh, discuss here. Um, that this is something that we really wanted as young pastors, but it's only recently begun to be kind of passed to us. Yeah, yeah. I think there may be a few reasons for uh, maybe why it's not been passed down. I think... The in the past, you know, 50 years, which would be kind of the years leading up to our generation of pastors and church planters and the years that we were groomed and and led and discipled and so on and so forth. um, There was this uptick in pragmatism Mm -hmm. that you see in the late 70s and the early 80s. Where, um, I mean, again, each of us only have so much bandwidth. And when you've got uh, systematic theology, which is a great and is, is taking a, a big swath of the um, the bandwidth, and then you, instead of uh, having alongside of that something like historical theology, mm-hmm. um, pragmatism begins to kind of take over, and we kind of begin to lose sight of and even reject in many ways all things historical. Mm. So... It kind of got thrown out with the bath, uh, the baby out with the bathwater. Well, you so, can see that in a way that a lot of church plants market and saying, "This isn't your grandma's church." Yeah, exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. And now I think like what we, what we want to say is, "Hey, this is your grandma's church." Mm-hmm. And I mean, so there were some good things that were thrown out, like, "Hey, we don't have to sing all hymns, even though I prefer that. We don't have to. We don't have to have just an organ. We don't have to wear suits." Like those were, I think, some fine qualities of the like the church growth thing, that kind of that pragmatism thing. I, I, that pragmatism is, 
as a ruling reality is is terrible. Mm-hmm. But that was a good thing. We kind of departed from some of that as as legalistic law, you know, laws that we had to follow by. A lot of that is mm-hmm. what you saw in the culture as well, though. Like there was a time when everybody wore a suit, you know, or even guys that were laborers, they they went to work in a suit. And then they, yeah. you know, got into their work clothes yeah. and put up drywall or whatever. And then they put their tie back on you yeah. know, to go home in the evening and wore an evening jacket. And not to say that the church should follow the culture, but there are some things that can ebb and flow in that. Yeah. And I think the, but the problem is, is that what was thrown out was all things historical. Yeah, exactly. It was tossed. The second thing I think that had to do with the kind of this generational failure is uh, dispensationalism. Mm-hmm. So... And, and what I mean by that is uh, particularly pre-trib, pre-millennialist idea of eschatology and this idea that, man, Jesus, there's a good chance Jesus is going to come back tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And so then it just, it kind of, theology kind of got summarized in a, let's just all go share the gospel, meaning let's let's go make converts. Mm-hmm. And like really everything else kind of, got kind of tossed to the wayside. Well, if that, if Jesus is going to come back tomorrow and we got to get as many people saved as possible, then really nothing else matters. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this heritage and what we believe and have believed for centuries or millennia, like that just doesn't matter that much. Um, and I don't think any of them would say that, but that's functionally what happened. Mm-hmm. So the heritage of belief, <clears throat> you know, that should be passed down. Um, Oh, that's not that important. And that then easily gets morphed into just gospel-centeredness, right? Yeah. yeah. I was going to say the same thing. Then you have, you get all these feeder streams mm-hmm. kind of coming into the main problem. And one of those is the um, attractional model, the easy believism, the pragmatism, the uh, pray a prayer, and that's really all you need. So you just get a ticket to heaven and everything else really doesn't matter. Yeah. And then while Jesus was always beating down the Pharisees, those religious theologically heady-minded people mm-hmm. and so then you know um phrases like you're you know you're so heavenly minded you're no earthly good mm-hmm. you know become a, a popular thing <laughs> um so yeah yeah um well f- the danger though for us is not to just bemoan that but to then follow suit ourselves well, i think we'll talk some more about this particular thing neck uh, at towards the end of the episode as we get into some of the actual uh, main pieces. But the question is, is how are we passing it off to the next generation? Yeah. Unless we uh, repeat the sins of our fathers. I, I think the thing that they lost sight of, <clears throat> um, this is, you know, one or two generations before us, um, that we got to be really, really careful we don't. And that is you can't just teach the next, like, generation what to believe. You have to teach them what to do with what they believe. And, and in a sense, you got to teach them propagation. And perpetuation. Mm-hmm. So you got to teach them that, like, if I could put this in, like, um, a stream of thought here, like, it, not not just, hey, son, you should believe this about Jesus, and not just, hey, son, you should teach your son what he should believe about Jesus, but, son, you need to teach your son that he has to perpetuate what each generation should believe concerning Jesus. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. that, like you've got to hand this down and hand this down and hand this down. You have to teach them that it has to be handed down. Mm-hmm. Um, lest they assume that the next person is going to hand it down and then they don't hand it down. Yeah. Right. 
therein with some of the pitfalls because on one hand you have maybe uh, a heavy theology based emphasis but then there's actually how am I supposed to put that into practice as you're saying so I, I don't know how to do that so then people just threw all of it out completely and said let's just go with the practical piece mm. whereas the, the pragmatism comes in by saying how do you take these great truths um, that have been handed down to us and like blue collar those things you know, that's why we call this blue collar theology like how does that actually apply in the day in and day out of me going to my job that's been one of the challenges with conservatism in general is that we just conserve and don't build yeah exactly so, yeah yeah well i have uh for us these kind of three steps pieces for what general generational failure looks like here and how we fight against it and particularly when we think about just this, this distinctive historical biblical christianity it's something that has to be instructed it's something that has to then be guarded and it's something that then has to be passed. And I think instructing and guarding really tackles a lot of the teaching, but then also the guarding is the insisting upon for the next generation. Um, yeah, and, and part of what I'm arguing is like, you got to say all three of those to the next person. Yep. And tell them that they've got to say all three of those to the next person. Right. That they've got to say all three of those to the next person. And on and on. Yeah, yeah, I feel like as we look over the past, we see them only doing one of the three at any given time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, there there are clear times when they were doing a lot of guarding. Mm -hmm. There were clear times when they were, but not you know they weren't instructing. There are other times that they were doing instructing, but they didn't really, they didn't really guard it in the broader culture. Um, you see them trying to pass stuff, but not having anything to pass. Yeah. nothing in their hands. So yeah, doing all three is a really big deal. So. On instructed, what do we need to just briefly instruct about? Everything. Well, I was going to say that um, <laughs> that uh, on the whole council of the, God's the whole council, we could talk about that and a bit. How to do it? Right. When we talk about instructed, though, I <laughs> I wrote down. You looked at me because my my notes were down there. I think it needs to be clear on exactly what we mean by confessional, mm -hmm. by historical biblical Christianity. We have to be, words matter, and we're seeing that more than ever in our culture today, that words matter because words have been hijacked. Definitions. And definitions have been hijacked by people. And we've, you know, we just saw recently uh, that definitions and words and, and being incredibly clear on what we mean um, was calls the little kerfluffle in the SBC, you know, and well, isn't this close enough? And no, and the yeah, exactly, no, a resounding no. Um, go home, and uh, <laughs> they matter though, and so you need to be more and more clear about that because if you're not clear, then you have all sorts of room for uh, people's own interpretation mm -hmm. on yeah, things that actually really matter. Yeah, and I think probably the bigger battle for most of us is not. Um, uh, it's not so much like fighting against words that the culture has hijacked, but lacking clarity because we want to nuance or soften everything mm -hmm. to death that it lacks power. Mm -hmm. And that's what the Pharisees were known for. They, you know, they nuanced uh, the, um, uh, like the word Corbin. Well, if I set this aside for God, then I don't have to actually obey honoring the command to honor my right. mother and father 
And so what they did was they nuanced it so much that it just lost its meaning. Mm-hmm. And not that nuance never has a place, but if we're going to instruct, we've we've got to get right at it and say, this is what I mean and this is what I don't mean. Yeah. And let it be. Um, and be careful that we're not just trying to pad it so much that people get lost in the padding right. yep. and miss the core that's at the middle right. of what we say. And we purposefully put these kinds of things up front in our membership class. Mm-hmm. We want to put those things that would be potentially uh, divisive or um, cause people to say, you know, I, I can't be a part of this. We put that stuff right up front mm-hmm. so they know what they're getting into right off the bat. Yeah. And that we think we hold these things in high regard and think they're incredibly important. And if you're going to be a member here, then these are things you're going to have to sign off on. Mm-hmm. Um, and then for some of those tertiary issues, you may not have to sign off on that to be a member here, but you're definitely going to hear it, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Preach because we believe this is the most faithful interpretation of God's word. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. The next step would be guarded. We have First Timothy six twenty to twenty one. Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Mm-hmm. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called quote knowledge, for by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Yeah, I think the, that that word swerve is is really important, and that's because that's how you see it happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have seen dudes just throw that e brake on and just tail spin out, mm-hmm. uh, particularly over the past four years uh, as as culture has come around and quote unquote knowledge yeah. um, ha- has risen from every corner of the internet mm-hmm. um, or from every person in the White House and it causes you to swerve right. from what? The faith. The faith. The faith is what's central. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Yeah, thoughts on guarded. I don't want to belabor this too much. We're going to dive into some stuff later. Last one then would be passed. So Second Timothy two two. Uh, Matt, you want that? Yeah, and and what uh, you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So you, you're going to pass it to guys you are going to pass it to guys you're going to pass it. To who? To faithful men. Ah. <laughs> yeah, that was the key Whoa, key phrase in that in that passage. Uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that go, well, I think that goes beyond what's required of of the teaching and preaching and eldership of the church. There is something, um, there's something extra that he's saying there that if without faithful men, you're lost. Yep. Mm-hmm. Without faithful men, you're lost. And and if you and if you have problems with that, then you don't understand the whole of the scripture, and you don't you don't understand creation. Mm-hmm. You don't understand the way God created the world. Well, and, and to our point of this being, you know, more than just what represents us, this is something that we're driving at as a church, and that we don't just want men who are faithful. We're thankful for that. Mm-hmm. We need them to be leaders who will be able to teach also, right? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And we're thankful for faithful men and, and, and glory to God for that. But, uh, you know, Nehemiah, as it were, with his sword and his trowel, needed to be like, hey, faithful men, build a wall. And they'd be like, yep, on it. Mm-hmm. And then him be able to say to one man in particular, and you, lead them. Yeah. Lead this group of five people. Mm-hmm. And we need those men who can then go teach others yeah. also. And you, take five men out with swords. Mm-hmm. and take down some enemies yep yeah good so that's that's what we want to do as we try to look forward to make sure that we correct the past is i i think the danger is that uh we can outlive our ministry <laughs> sometimes <laughs> and uh and fail to do some of this sure so to get into our actual then definition we have kind of two sets of words one kind of describes 
the picture of what we mean in historical biblical Christianity. The second is a little bit more of the functional two words that we use to, to go through that. So I'll, I'll just lay them out. The first group that we use to kind of round off our definition is declarative, objective, and historical. We'll talk about those next. But after that, we'll spend the rest of our time on reformed and confessional because inside of reformed is all the actual sandbox that we're talking about. And inside of confessional is all the sandbox and a lot of the history too that we are are rolling with. So to help kind of round out where we're at and specifically try to help us understand what this might look like beyond just the definition with declarative. When we say declarative, we mean that they are finished works, particularly of Christ. This comes from, uh, among other places, Hebrews chapter 10, 11 through 14. It says, And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he's perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So when we say that the Christian faith is a declarative faith, we're saying that it is a is, is done. Yeah, we're declaring that these things have happened, and this is the way that it will be. Yeah, like in this passage, you don't see like a. Uh, 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 you should go be declarative. But what we see in this passage is the act uh, of something being finished mm-hmm. that is done. And so when we say our faith is historical, it's rooted in a historical, finished, complete um, act. Mm-hmm. Uh, and namely here, the the act of of Christ's priestly, sacrificial, the atonement, you know, that, that whole picture. Hmm. So when we say declarative, we mean that it's that, that that's finished. So to, to kind of prove the point beyond just like, oh, it's neat, it's it's finished, he sat down. Like, no, this, this changes our, the way that we culturally do things. So, for instance, what does this have to do, what does declarative have to do with our preaching? We're declarative in our preaching. Mm-hmm. Yeah, these things have been done, this is true, and therefore our authority uh, in which we um, come into the pulpit is is that mm-hmm. this is yeah. not me. This is not me pulling something out of thin air. So, yeah. what does this mean for for our counseling? Same. Same thing. Yeah. What does this mean for our discipleship for each other? Same thing. Yeah, absolutely. I, it's just that isn't a. Is, this is an assumption. Does a lot more than just like, oh, that's cool. Well, at least I got some background for that. Mm-hmm. You know, it might even be called like uh, aggressive. <laughs> <laughs> How dare Jesus? Like, if here's the deal: if if you believe that it's that it was done and it's finished, um, the work he did is finished, and we are about declaring that, then then we're going to move forward. Yeah, because that uh, takes us into our next one: objective. Right? When we say objective, we mean it's factual. It's not influenced by feelings, personal opinions, life experiences, and certainly not by the pagan culture surrounding the church. Yeah, but man, that is what you see all over the place right now. Is, you, you know, you just go on Twitter and follow like just a, a variety of quote unquote Christian leaders today. Mm-hmm. And you will see that little list that you gave um, influencing so many people. And in a culture now in which we live, it is totally swallowed things like critical theory 
does it matter what the truth is because my personal experience makes me an expert. I don't care if you have a degree and you've been doing this for 35 years and you're the world's leading expert on this thing, whatever it is, my personal experience trumps that. Mm-hmm. And that is what's driving the world. Which, what is that ultimately at the core? It's Romans 1. Yep. Right? Truth suppressors. You've just taken, yeah, you've just taken um, the truth suppressors. You've just taken the number one thing that fights against um, the, the uh, bowing the knee to Jesus, the exaltation of self. Mm-hmm. And you've taken that and you've, you've given it um, traction and you've given it um, dignity and worth in our culture. Yep. Yeah. You know, I, I'd be willing to say, um, and you can, you know, someone can crucify me for this, but majority of this would set us apart from majority of the churches in the Dayton region. Mm-hmm. Um, and you say, okay, well, hang on, but th- those other churches, they, they believe in objective truth. What, what, wait a minute, wait a minute. I think hey, I hear the chants outside. Crucify yeah. him. <laughs> crucify him. Give us Barabbas. Give us The... But the you got to like so what are they ruled by? What are they being operated by? Operated uh, by? What are they operating on? Um, what's the what's driving their gatherings? And so much of their gatherings are driven by uh, emotions. Mm-hmm. So songs that are meant to be emotionally manipulative, preaching that is not based on objective truth of God's word, but on some subjective wisdom from from a guy and or preaching that has nothing to do with the people that are sitting in the pews right like it has not it mm-hmm. doesn't bring anything to bear and calling them to faith and repentance it might be faithful to the text it might be biblical right and it might be biblical quote unquote but it does nothing to call people to faith and repentance it does not offend people's sin and then you can see it like with church leaders and how they handle things like church discipline or how they handle things like uh, members being moved from one church to the next. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's so common for, for churches just to listen to the recounting of an experience from a prospective member based on their previous church and them to judge that as acceptable when there's no objective truth that was ruling in that decision to receive that member. Mm-hmm. It's just, okay, well, your experience was that stamp uh, their, of approval. Their objective truth, quote unquote, is that this person says they love Jesus. Right. Yes. They have a personal relationship with him. Yeah. So a personal relationship with him. Yep. There we are again. Mm-hmm. A personal relationship with Jesus. It's so, on the button. So, so when I say like, when we say we're, committed to that which is objective and that that sets us apart then you've got to look at you got to look beyond when someone says well they believe in objective truth and they're ruled by objective truth to see is that what is at the end of the day leading and governing their their decisions mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I would say that's not the case in most right and I are would... they are they leading you in a worship service to say, you know, I don't matter how you feel right now. This is objectively true. Tell your feelings to get in line. Right. And if they're not willing to say that, and they're willing to baptize your experience and your feelings, then, right? Um, you should run. Right. And what we're saying here too is that the proof is in the pudding. So you can say that you're confessional. You can say that you're reformed. You can have a, a 
you know, at least on the surface, a fairly robust liturgy and so on and so forth. But then the proof is in the pudding, though, mm -hmm. because actually being confessional, actually holding to these things, um, isn't just something that you walk through in a liturgy on a Sunday morning. Mm -hmm. That's why I said earlier on, like about things like actual covenant. You could say you have covenant membership, but you do not have covenant membership if you don't take church discipline seriously. Yep. You have you have something that's false. Yeah, and you don't you don't believe in covenant church membership if you don't respect the covenant church membership of another church. Exactly. Yeah, and so you can say these kinds of things. You know, so Which on means one, you're not reformed either. That's my point. So on one hand, you have like, you know, this, you have your typical, you know, kind of evangelical church out there, but then you also would have people that are like, no, I'm, I, we're, we're, uh, we're covenantal, we're uh, confessional, we're reformed, but the proof is in the pudding. What they mean is that we're accurate, <laughs> which is not what we're talking about. No. Al alone, right? So yeah, those objective statements that you guys just made, we would root in something like John 16, 7 through 15. It says, but if I go, this is Jesus speaking, I will send him to you, that's the Spirit. When he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. There's your proof in the pudding, mm -hmm. right? Yep. Concerning sin, I love how he lists it and now he's explaining them. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Like, <laughs> try saying that to the some other churches and see how that goes. The objective person, God, and everything he has said about himself. Yep. Mm -hmm. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Yeah. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. The problem is, is a lot of people still can't. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. You know who can bear those things now? Those who actually have the spirit. The mm -hmm. sheep. The sheep. But churches are full of goats. You can't bear it if you're not a sheep. Do so they have things. to gather around them mm -hmm. preachers who don't actually right. uh, speak the full truth right. to them. Because when the sheep hear the shepherd's voice, they know him and they follow him. But when goats hear it, they run. Yep. <laughs> they do. So he will glorify me. fast. For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So yeah, th that... Uh, it's more than just being accurate, yeah. which, which is what a lot of these seminary guys are concerned about only, which is, again, a good thing. We want accuracy, truth. Sure. But proof's in the pudding. Right. What do you do with that? How How do you, <laughs> yeah. how does your church handle it's sin, righteousness, and judgment? Yeah, it's easy to look good on paper and on your website, and it's easy to look good on Twitter and say you're all these things, but what is your family like, mm -hmm. right? What would you, what is your, what is your wife actually you know, say about you, mm -hmm. is, you know, is your house on fire? Is, is your house on fire? Mm -hmm. Right. Well, you can be accurate and accurately not say everything that should be said. Mm -hmm. And you can be sincere and be sincerely wrong. And you can be accurate <laughs> and accurately not actually apply any of your accuracy. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. I would say that would be like being accurate, but never pulling the trigger. Yeah, you're yeah, 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 your your sights might be right on the target, but if you don't pull and it doesn't go bang. Yep. Last thing, historical. When we say historical, we mean a reformed understanding of the scriptures, whereby the glory of God displayed through his sovereign rule over everything without exception is embraced and celebrated. 
So this has several pieces to it. For one, we already mentioned earlier, these things are not novel. Uh, you should be uh, wary of anything that is less than 100 years old um, in anything, really, <laughs> not just in your, <laughs> in your religion. Especially if it's milk in the fridge. <laughs> Very true, yes. That's called cheese. Um, so it's it's it's, it's, at least, <laughs> it's at least it's at least that old gross it is gross uh it's at least the not novel aspect but then there's a there's a recognition here of authority that comes through history right mm-hmm. and that gets people's you know knickers all twisted up mm-hmm. when we say that history has some authority to it right so how what do we mean when we say that that authority comes through there because for one the three of us at least are not catholic right so yeah, we we do not believe in capital T tradition, but lowercase t tradition. Mm-hmm. And in the streams of theology, of exegetical theology, historical theology, biblical theology, and systematic theology, uh, at the foundation would be exegetical theology. Uh, then biblical theology builds on that, and then systematic theology. And those have each have their own definitions I'm not going to go into, but... Mm-hmm. Those three being authoritative in an ultimate sense. Mm -hmm. But then historical theology is uh, authoritative in the sense that it shows us the stream of the faithful orthodox teaching of God's church for all time. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't mean that little, um, small, like piddly things that there can't be disagreement on that. But when we when it comes to core doctrinal fidelity, that the church has maintained these beliefs for 2,000 years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So to that extent, the history of what the church has held is authoritative for mm-hmm. us. So we don't want to be outside of that stream is what I'm saying. Right. It's the it's the practical application of 2 Timothy 2.2. 2, there's been this entrusting to faithful yeah, men. Good. And so we can trace that back. And that that matters. That matters a lot. So two things. Does that mean that if I read 100 books and 70 commentaries about something, um, that I can tell you that women can preach? <laughs> no, Rick Warren. Okay. No. Because that's, that's the test here, right? Uh, he's been wrong for 50 years. He apologizes all of a sudden over these four passages that he's either never really studied with his Greek um, or has just been reading wrong with his Greek for the past 50 years, right? Mm-hmm. So is that what we mean by using history appropriately? No. No, okay. Because the second one that I would see currently is that the only history that most people know is the rise and fall of Mars Hill. <laughs> that's true. Right? <laughs> that's that's their fullest extent of church history. Right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, Lest you yeah, misunderstand. Whatever, whatever Hang Christianity on. today has fed them. Uh, yeah. Whatever Christianity today has said. Oh, that's funny, Russ. Yeah. Just checking. Yeah. By the way, I will make a very clear statement. The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill podcast is hot garbage and should be avoided at all costs. Like the no, plague? Like the plague. Like the plague. Mm. Yes. Avoided like the plague. I agree. It is given. We need, to do a, we need to do an episode on that. It's given people nothing but an opportunity to make a club out of their sin and hit preachers, faithful pastors over the head. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah the and now I'll get lumped. I'll be called Mark Driscoll Jr. 
Well, because that's no, the no, the cheap dollar general uh, dollar the general. John Dollar General Driscoll. <laughs> yeah, I would get a T-shirt made with that. Yeah, I'm the Dollar General Driscoll. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of a mouthful. It is kind of a, it's kind of a tongue twister. Yeah, you uh, know, there's no way Cosper had an agenda in that. You know, I'm sure he was purely uh, righteous. Just in interested in that. history, man. Listen, man, don't get me started on that guy. Russ got you started. That guy's a clown. <laughs> that guy needed something to get a leg up again. Because, whatever. Okay, I'm going to stop talking. <laughs> I'm just sitting here drinking my tea like Kermit. <laughs> <laughs> when we went to T4G, you guys went to that worship oh, yeah. thing or whatever. Like, oh, yeah. When Boswell was there and mm-hmm. uh, Matt Papa, which is great, great guys. Um, and I think Cosper was there and, and Greg brought me his book because he knew I would. We're gonna throw it in the garbage. So anyway, bringing you some toilet paper. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. That, but my point, as tongue in cheek as I try to be, is um, there's a lot more to church history than a, a failed slash struggled church thing, right? In America, ten years ago. Ten years ago, <laughs> right? Like a lot. Well, and I would add too. What do you always get when you're talking, you know, to a non-believer or you know, atheists like to use this about religion? What's thrown in the face, in particular, of historical Christianity, is the violence, you know, and the divisiveness and so on. And and it's not an accurate understanding of of church history. Like, mm-hmm. Sure, we understand that there are historical events of um, crusades and violence and so on. Um, of course, Christianity is always the one that gets highlighted versus things like Islam. Um, or they're not, they're, they're a peace loving people. Get out of here, brother. Peace loving. <laughs> Only the ones that are uh, not faithful to the Quran. Or explosive. Yeah. <laughs> True. Yeah. So do, do better, do better research. Well, I mean, just, you 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 can go back to preachers a hundred years ago, yeah. right? Uh, Jones and uh, Lloyd Jones and um, uh, man, the Spurgeon. sirens are going off a lot today out there. Sorry and, about that. And those guys, man, they they, they were fiery guys. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, and then you go back through four hundred years to the Puritans. So what concerns me then, though, is that we've got the largest denomination in the history of the world, right, meeting right now. And whereas the smaller denominations are faithful people used to bring like 70 preachers together, mm-hmm. church leaders, for like three days to discuss one doctrine. And they get in little fights about it in this random little house in like Lithuania or whatever, right? And we spent a cumulative six minutes debating women preachers. Right, yes. yeah. And very With- faithfully cut the cut the mic off at three minutes. Like, <laughs> now, I don't think there needs to be a ton of debate over this. It's very clear. But, like, nothing, my point still stands. And, like, when we talk about, like, historically, the richness that we have of men who have given their blood, sweat, tears to defining with clarity these types of doctrines. Mm-hmm. And then we've got these clowns with canes who are walking around peddling their hot garbage yeah. for three minutes. And then we have to rebut that in three minutes. Yeah. And then call to faithfulness for the next fifty years, yeah. based off a of vote that happens immediately. Right. This happens in the church first. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Sorry, that's my thing. I'm done. No, that's good. Amen. <laughs> I like history. 
Yeah. I want to make sure everyone else recognizes it. No. I, I think one of the other reasons that people struggle with that a little bit is because, you know, America is not that old. Yeah, you know, true. Ha- has, a rich, has a rich history, yeah. um, but not a very old history. Right? And so there's not as much of an appreciation uh, for history, I think, sometimes. Um, and e- if there is, it's kind of Americans just know our history, but that's the extent. Um, so you look at other countries, though, and you see this very long, rich history and heritage, and there's much more of an appreciation for it. The world's it. a lot bigger for them. It is, yeah, mm-hmm. it is. So it, it, and it matters. Um, th- they are willing to... A listen because history teaches us important oh. lessons because if we if we don't heed it we'll repeat bad pieces of it and so on and as good as our you know american diversity is and um culture and, and demographic and stuff uh when you go to somewhere that's a little bit more i don't want to say xenophobic but they're committed to their culture you go to italy mm-hmm. you're gonna have long italian names right you go sure. to japan you're gonna have long-standing you know japanese families yeah um, and, and that brings a great rootedness to it as exactly, well. To yeah. point. Great point. Yeah. All right. So that uh, took a little longer. I'm sorry, but I want people to look past uh, the past 10 years. And um, Well, I will <laughs> plug this. Even though we have a short history as Americans and the, the American church, I'm excited to be uh, a stepping stone in that for generations to come. Oh, yeah. Long generations to come to have a rich, faithful heritage. Mm-hmm. Amen. So let's jump into kind of where the rubber meets the road a little bit more. We've, we've been able to do that a little bit already. Uh, inside Reformed and Confessional. First thing we want to tackle is Reformed. So we loosely outlined this earlier, but back in our church planting boom over the past you know 10 plus years ago, uh, which makes me feel older every time we talk about that, uh, we were all about the Young Restless Reformed. It was, you know, the great new Calvinist movement, all this stuff. And everybody, all of a sudden, was becoming Reformed. Yeah. But are they? No. No. Are they? You know what's something that's interesting about the Young Restless Reformed? And I don't want to kick out the whole thing because I think, you know, trends can be just trends, but sometimes trends spark some people that are actually going to do the real thing right oh yeah i mean that's what i've said like about complementarianism it has its problems that we're seeing play out now but it was a huge corrective even for me when it first came out now it needs to be yeah further molded well here's what is interesting about young rushes reform because i remember i remember that you know being a part of that but when i started realizing kind of on the tail end of that movement that there were guys that were um you know kind of some of our our heroes then your Pipers and Sproles and MacArthur's, you know, your Ferguson's, Beggs, and these guys who, you know, your Wilson's, they've been doing this stuff for a long time, right? Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden there's this movement, um, and it's funny, some of the things that were really emphasized with the Young Rushes when we formed, like a lot of guys were just like, we can smoke cigars and drink dark beer and because of Spurgeon and, you know, stuff like that. And, And now on this side, you see a lot of those guys petered out Mm-hmm. Or went woke, or whatever. And what are those old dogs still doing? Same thing. Same thing. Plodding along faithfully, right? And it wasn't all the sexy stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's what I was saying earlier. It's not just on paper. Yeah. Right. It's it's um. So we you know everybody went out and got <laughs> a, a tattoo of Spurgeon on their chest, right? But um, doesn't wouldn't have the the boldness or the guts that Spurgeon had to actually stand up for the truth, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, it was guys that 
would agree with a with a reformed soteriology. Yeah. But for the scriptures to actually rule and reign over everything and for Christ to be Lord over everything was not what they believed when it came to reformed, uh, to, to quote unquote being reformed. Because then you see guys adopting integrationist models of counseling mm-hmm. yep. to now adopting uh, woke ideologies like the authority of intersectionality and um, lived experience and those things having a ruling and reigning effect on their ministries and the way they counsel people. Um, and so, yeah, they're, they're not... I wouldn't call those churches reformed just because they have a reformed soteriology. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. So what are some things that we have seen then, uh, the reformed touch? Because that, that was a question that I got from one of my old, um, ministry partners was, so Russ, you, you say you're reformed. What does that mean beyond like tulip? Does that just mean tulip? What, what else is there? One that we've seen repeatedly, um, that we've already touched on a little bit already, so we'll go ahead and lead with that one, is, is church discipline. Hmm. So what is it about church discipline that is something that we, we treasure as a, as a reformed church? What is it? Why, why is church discipline something that we hold so closely? Yeah, so I think part of the um, doctrinal, like at the core of being reformed, is a high view of God's sovereignty. Mm-hmm. And with a high view of God's sovereignty... That doesn't just mean um, his electing grace, you know, to draw you out of darkness into light. And it's not just his securing grace, which means that you will make it to heaven, but his persevering grace. So we believe that his sovereignty stretches supremely through all of that. The moment mm-hmm. you're saved, the moment you will reach heaven. And every moment between A and C, so the B in between, the what we call sanctification. But um, I, I, in this sense, I think the better phrase to think of it uh, to, toward for the point I'm driving to is is persevering. Now I appreciate you do that because that takes the P from tulip and puts teeth to it. Yes. Yep. So he is sovereign over my persevering. Mm-hmm. Well, persevering. You know, and later on in Hebrews, uh, towards the end, he's going to say that all discipline is painful for the moment. It hurts for the moment, but it comes from a father who loves us. Mm-hmm. Um, and so how does he persevere us? Well, he sovereignly disciplines us, and that is a part of his keeping grace. That is, matter of fact, a, a primary part of his keeping grace yeah. is his discipline. So if you're a truly a reformed congregation and elders, you will have a high view of God's sovereignty, which then will play out into the perseverance of the saints, which then looks a lot like discipline. Well, then what does that discipline look like? It looks like, in part, the discipline of the church. Now, do you only mean excommunication? No, no, I do not. I mean all forms mm-hmm. of God's loving discipline yep. from from orchestrating you uh, falling on your butt so that you had a few extra days with a broken leg to, to pray mm-hmm. and to consider why you were 
uh, skipping church that morning, you know, mm-hmm. uh, to, yes, all the way to a, a brother or sister just saying, hey, I think you're sinning, mm-hmm. to the church saying, hey, if you do not repent, we are going to consider your fruit as one that, as, as fruit that's coming from a non-believer. Yep. Mm-hmm. Now, so yes, if, if you're Reformed, you're going to practice church discipline. Let me say the last thing I'd say here. And that, that also means then that as a Reformed congregation, you're going to respect the uh, church discipline of another congregation of which God was sovereign over. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot more defense for that particular last statement. Uh, yeah, but related to that, and and um, I guess I would say secondly, but it's very tightly t- tied to that. So inside of that sovereignty in his electing grace is his covenantal yeah. component, right? Yeah. So we, we practice covenant church membership here, but even outside, I guess I would say, of covenant church membership, you're still in covenant with the Lord, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so the church then still has that uh, responsibility over you. And and covenantal view of scriptures is I I, I would I would say it's exclusively reformed, right? Uh yeah, I, I, yeah, yeah. I'm not missing anybody. I don't think so. I mean, yeah, Maybe a quick survey. I mean, I could be wrong, but I don't. I think you're right. Yeah. So that I, to to say that you have a you know I, I, let, me, let me say I. I I don't know of anyone who is covenantal and not reformed, but I know people who are reformed but maybe not covenantal. Okay. Okay. Should they be? I think so. So I'm thinking like John MacArthur. I mean, Johnny Mac is an anomaly in, in several ways. Is very much an anomaly. Well, uh, he, he's reformed ish. Well, his, his personal pronouns <laughs> don't necessarily reflect what he exactly like he, he does. Yeah. <laughs> He's like he's the most. It's like you're saying he's gay. (laughs) Like he's a dispensationalist, but he doesn't. But he's not. He's not. (laughs) So So like, like, if that's what a dispensationalist is, I'm like, maybe I'm dispensational. (laughs) (laughs) So that's what I'm getting at. He doesn't live like like it. There's a sense. I mean, it's like there's degrees of being reformed. Yeah. True. You know, and he's like, I would put Johnny Mac on like, and I love Johnny Mac, man. But I would put him on like the lower degrees of being reformed. Well, well, you Johnny know? Mac is also a um, Calvinistic Baptist, right? He's, he's Calvinistic versus um, reformed Baptist. That's true, right? Yeah, I guess that would be the distinction. There. Yeah, I mean, if if by Calvinistic you mean uh, reformed in, a in, in, in his soteriology, but he no. wouldn't he wouldn't hold the sixteen eighty nine, right? He's just not confessional. Yes. Yep. In that sense. Yep. Right. Yep. So, so this is us driving a very specific second layer of covenantal. Right. This is yeah. kind of what I'm after. Which, you know, for the record, you can you can love and follow Johnny Mac and be a dismissal and find a good home here. Oh, yeah. At Christ the Lord. Uh, it's just it's just not necessarily where we're at. We'll just make know? fun of your pronouns. Yeah. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> 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 so let's go to another one. Uh, let's talk just about liturgy a little them. bit. <laughs> we just did our episode on uh, on the piano and the psalms. Uh, so, how does reformed uh, theology specifically impact our liturgy? What are we after there? You're the liturgy guy. Yeah, talk, Russ. <laughs> Here, let me let me back up. So, with reformed, how does it apply to our liturgy? Russ, can you please talk to us about liturgy? I'm just leaving that just like that. <laughs> yeah, when we think about our reformed faith. 
different than uh, the other ones. It's going to bleed over for me into some eschatology aspects because it's what we're hoping for and looking for, mm-hmm. the big piece there. But in our liturgy, we're talking about singing the scriptures, right? And I mean, if you're going full, full-fledged, I guess, reformed, you're going all the way deep into the um, uh, regulative principle. Mm-hmm. Right, but there we still ascribe a, a good deal to a lot of the regulative principle. Sure, that the scriptures dictate the way and manner in which that we should worship the Lord. Uh, we're not free, as sixteen eighty nine say, to to come up with our own ways to worship. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it should impact those things. We want to have a, a worship that is focused particularly on the Lord and not on man, uh, which is going to bring in the, the sacraments and stuff as well. So, to say that it's just our salvation is reformed and then that leaves a lot of open doors Mm -hmm. for then what we might experience in our liturgy sunday to sunday yeah that's good not a whole lot to dive in on there but we're just trying to illustrate how this touches a lot more like when you walk in our doors and take our membership class and you hear that we're reformed don't just say cool. Like, see, see where it touches all these different things. Yeah, yeah. It's why we do things it's, the way we do. It's not just reading Calvin's yeah. commentaries. For, Which a lot of those people haven't done either. Exactly, yeah. The I institutes. Would, I, would, um, I would just add to it a couple things. Uh, back to the sovereignty piece, because I think at its core, Reformed theology is rooted in a high view of God's sovereignty. Uh, so the way that's going to play into our worship is going to be a high dependence on His sovereignty. Um, so it's not going to be a high dependence on emotionalism. It's not going to be a high dependence on manipulation. It's going to hi- be a high dependence on proclaiming the truth, because that's what sets us free, mm-hmm. and trusting in God's sovereign work to uh, that His Word will not return void. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it means the way I'm going to preach is I'm just going to try to preach the Word clearly, Uh and truthfully, accurately, and trust the Spirit to then not let that word return void. Mm-hmm. So then whenever we speak the word, then from there, whether it's in song or in prayer, that that, that we're going to lean hard into that. Yeah. Uh, and then we're going to trust the passage. The second thing I was going to say is we're going to trust a passage like Hebrews 10.22, where he says, Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. And I think he gives us like four guidelines for worship there, that we have to do it with sincerity, a, a true heart. So the expectation is that a Christian would come into worship with a true heart, but then we'd have full assurance of faith. We can only have that kind of full assurance of faith if you have a reformed understanding of theology, particularly as it relates to God's sovereignty. Mm-hmm. If you if you don't, then you can't have full assurance of faith. An Arminian understanding uh, leads to dependence on self for that faith. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so we better stoke that self-fire mm-hmm. in our worship. Exactly. So we better feed the emotions. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, we better lean into having the right experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, and then three, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, that God can sovereignly, eternally deal with that conscience. And if I don't have that conscience dealt with eternally uh, and cleansed by God, who is sovereignly capable to do it, then my liturgy is going to reflect grasping at straws. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But we're able to confidently, boldly, historically, declaratively say, you are saved. You are pardoned mm-hmm. from your sin. Your conscience has been cleansed. Yeah. Move forward in faith and boldness. Yeah. 
Uh, and then having our bodies washed with pure water, he ends with. And John Calvin is right to see the point, not in baptism itself, but in that which baptism symbolizes, namely the spiritual renewal that is at work, or that is the work of the Holy Spirit, that we've been sprinkled clean. Mm. So It makes me think of uh, the hymn, Praise My Soul, the King of Heaven. So the first verse is, Praise my soul, the King of Heaven, to his feet thy tribute bring. Ransom healed, restored, forgiven, who with me his praises will sing. Mm-hmm. And like that's, that is a uniquely um, reformed hymn that exalts God and his glory and declares what he has done for us in the personal work of Jesus Christ. And now that, that praise comes out of our mouth in all that we do. So, yeah, this, thank you. That's what I was trying to allude to. And like, it's God oriented not man oriented yeah because we sing maybe one song a week that is more responsive of of uh, from our perspective but to your point the majority of what we sing to use a word we used earlier is declarative yeah i'm totally cool with like my responsive songs as long as the word worm and wretch is in there referring to (laughs) us (laughs) but yeah they're declarative and that's 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 what we're heading towards is this is what god has done pause so uh, on that, before we move on, I saw recently on a, a Instagram post of a, a fellow who claims to be a pastor, um, who I thought was reformed. Is it actually a fellow? Um, I think. So far, <laughs> at least for now, but it wouldn't surprise me if that changed. She identifies that way. Yeah. Um, so, but it was it was some kind of like a, a prayer for... You know, times of hardship or something like that, and the and uh, the part of the prayer was, we know we deserve your mercy. We know we deserve your care. Oh, and I just like kind of choked a little bit on that. In that, how can in that moment when I thought I was like, if I pray that before God, I would expect to be struck by lightning. Yeah, right. Like, and, and there was no, but and there was nothing surrounding it that had anything to do with being in Christ I say you can stretch that if you'd be like because of the work of Jesus right he has earned and now we deserve because of his deserving that's why going back to the top of the top of the podcast that's why I said words and definitions yeah those things matter like you you gotta explain what you mean here because anybody can take that now but he's 99.99999% there no did you comment on it um I, th- I don't remember. I think I did. But you should. You should comment on this and say, what in the world? You yeah. say, I'm going to send you a new Bible. He's probably trying to get away from the incoming lightning bolt. <laughs> exactly. I just was running. <laughs> well, then reach out your arms and do it. I was running. Sit, tell him you're going to send him a new Bible because his, his is apparently broken. Uh, broken. Yeah. We hear yours is malfunctioning. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I almost commented that today on someone's tweet. Oh, that's funny. Oh, man. Like, dude, I'm going to send you a new Bible. Give me your address. Yours is clearly <laughs> malfunctioning. <laughs> That's a real thing right now. They want to use AI to rewrite the scriptures mm-hmm. so that they're accurate and uniform for unity amongst all religions. So everyone's saying, buy the paper Bibles now, lest yep. you not be able to find uh, electronic ones that are actually accurate. Yep. So. Big debate in some circles. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah, buddy. Yeah. So what Thomas, do you do with new Thomas Jefferson Bible? Soon to be like, we deny robot preachers. <laughs> 
<laughs> right. He identifies as a man. We already have robot preachers. This is true. It's just the ones that are preaching what the culture wants them to preach. This is true. So speaking of the end times, eschatology uh, <laughs> would be the next one. And, um, you know, quite frankly, I think we're a little uh, diverse on this uh, within a very small field. You saw my comment next to your all meal thing. I know. Oh, I said it was <laughs> LOL. I said dot, it, dot, dot. At least Amil is, is my uh, definition. So we, I think, range between – I'm optimistic Amil at this point, which is theoretically post-mill, but I'm not because I have some issues with that. And some of the other guys are moving around on some of those. But there's a – I haven't even begun to read yet, <laughs> just for the record. The problem – I've been in Amil for a long time. Yeah, the problem is here's that all I have to say. We're seeing that I'm good to go. <laughs> good to for go for a long time. For a long time, <laughs> and I'm very, very optimistic. But that's what we're seeing is that people relegate <laughs> the kingdom stuff of to heaven the is end, growing, and so it doesn't matter. No, it matters because that's where we're looking. Yeah. Right, and and as you learn in driving school, you're gonna drive where you're looking. Yeah. Right. So when the car is coming and the lights are there, if you look at the lights, you're gonna drive in. Don't yeah. look to the far side. I I do listen. I do think that eschatology you can't just look at it and be like okay look, we, you know this is not a dividing thing you know as, as long as you agree that jesus is coming back to rule and reign sh- sure but you gotta be careful about that as well because it does matter because well, that's historically what we've seen people galvanize around is like do you agree that jesus is coming back right like yes okay we're good orthodox <laughs> right but so wherever wherever you're at all right and those three you know um those three primary views of uh, eschatology, uh, how does it come to bear on how you live now? And so I mm-hmm. do think I do think that, of course, this is why we get to have fun debates and arguments over these things because you know we have different understandings and views on what we believe is faithful to Scripture. But I do think that uh, Reformed theology brings uh, and, and a historical biblical uh, understanding of the church and theology brings a lot to bear on that. And... Um, and that it is a uh, understanding of the future, regardless of what camp you're in, that Jesus is ruling and reigning now, and that he will, so he will come back, um, and he will judge, and he will set things right, and that has to affect how I live now, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. All right, so wherever you're at there, well, in your eschatological views, this is a test case for whether or not Ask- people... Catalogical. Thank you. <laughs> Look beyond Mars Hill too. Like so I joke about that being the extent of their historical understanding. Have you listened to the rise and fall of Mars Hill? Have you? Like this is all of history. Like it, yeah, the Stone Age. Because if you haven't actually like begun to play with or deal with some of this eschatology component, right? To the fact that historically, particularly Protestants have been post mill amill, right? Mm-hmm. And you haven't even touched that, then you're not reformed. It's just Calvinistic right. soteriology, which is good, but call it that, right? Right, exactly. Yeah. So let me let me like uh, put uh, put some teeth to this, like on why it matters practically. So, if someone is uh, you know more on the premillennial side, whether historical or or uh, dispensational premill, there's yeah Jesus is coming back, and there's going to be more of a sense of Jesus is coming back, like real real soon. Mm-hmm. And so it's really easy to get trapped in, like I said earlier, into like a culture. And I know I'm being very general here, but a culture of 
Um, all right, let's just get a bunch of people saved. Let's just share the gospel. And then... So at the meeting right now, at the SBC meeting, they're going to be like, why aren't we only talking about mission? Why are we talking about this other theological exactly. stuff? Exactly. Well, mm-hmm. Someone made a dumb comment of like, well, if if you seem to care more about like resolutions and and essentially discipleship, then and you get more excited about that than you do uh, missions, mm-hmm. then you might have lost your first love. And I'm like, I, hang on a second. I thought Jesus was our first love, right. first of all. And Jesus said to obey all that I've commanded, mm-hmm. which leads me to my second point then is, is amillennialists and postmillennialists are going to uh, hang their hat on like verses like when Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Yep. Yeah. Like I'm here. Mm-hmm. And where and if you under, have a good understanding of the kingdom, where where Jesus's reign and rule is, uh, is where his kingdom's at. So Jesus has established that. So yeah, I've been an all for a long time because because of that phrase. Mm-hmm. So I, I believe that yep. that has begun, mm-hmm. and so that changes things. That's mm-hmm. why for years we've preached Jesus is Lord. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we're gonna live like that. We're going to expect that. We're going to call people to that. And yeah. his kingdom is here. We're, we're part of that. So those that kind of preaching is going to have a higher expectation of the kingship. Yeah, you don't of, live from fear. Yep. yep. You're not yep. always looking for Antichrist and how are we going to lose. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was John Moody uh, quoted or tweeted, I don't know, Facebook or something recently said, uh, uh, the, uh, the tomb may be empty, but the throne isn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Amen. Jesus is King. Yeah. Yeah, and that it also um, influences how you read passages like First Corinthians fifteen that you know, we talked about on Easter. That and it, and something that's unique to the Christian faith is that we're not God's not going to discard these bodies or discard this world. He's going to make it new and He's restoring all things, um, which has so much to bear on why we believe in the sanctity of life and why we believe in um, biblical gender roles and and um, biblical anthropology and so on and so forth yeah i was i was raised um pre-mill and then i um was reading the bible and realized i was calvinist <laughs> a long time ago and uh and then i moved into a more all-mill understanding of uh, eschatology and was there for a long time and then i got saved and moved to a different view <laughs> yeah so let's go next uh which will be leadership <laughs> if we look at leadership uh reformed churches are going to have a distinctly different type of leadership uh in a couple of ways but um what is it about being reformed that changes your leadership i'm just thinking that i'm gonna we're gonna get a google review or a uh, review on the podcast that says one of their pastors just just got saved. <laughs> and you should go back to the Pew episode on how to listen. <laughs> he just got saved recently. Wasn't uh, even a Christian. Can we make time. a short of that? Probably, yeah. <laughs> should. My new slogan is uh, Christ the Lord Church getting one star review from pagans. Yeah. Since, probably since 2020. Well, I was going to say, technically, we renamed last year, so. That's, that's true. Well, 2020 was, you know, the dividing line for so many things in our culture and churches in the world. So definitely <laughs> yeah. for us. So. Well, but the church, though, was established on Jesus. So we'll say since 33 BC. There you go. I like it. Or AD. 
So, yeah. so leadership and reform theology. Sorry, I, I didn't mean to hijack us there. I, this, uh, I, I'm going to say this. It's it sounds arrogant, um, but reformed theology tends to be more plain reading theology. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, when you get to uh, passages like um, like the fact that Paul does not ever tell Timothy to go select an elder but it's always in the plural, mm-hmm. yeah. then we're going to understand that to mean, oh, you should have a plurality of elders. Mm-hmm. Um, so certainly there's there's room on how those elders are structured. I, I'm you know, comfortable even with uh, uh, ruling versus teaching elders that you see in like a Presbyterian church. That's not really how we function here. But we have our own variation of, of that. So I think there's freedom in there, but there's not freedom to have uh, a single pastor who uh, oversees all of the church by himself. Yeah. You're not free to uh, to have women pastors, like, and you're not free to have wimpy pastors mm-hmm. um, who just accommodate people. That's kind of what I was going to lean into is like leadership is our last one here for reform. Be like, the type of people who do all the things that we've been describing tend to be certain types of leaders. Yeah. yeah. Like that's, I think part of Acts twenty twenty eight, right? Like the Lord and Holy Spirit has appointed these overseers. Yeah. This the men of a, of a particular character. Yeah. Yeah. Well, to wrap us up and uh, kind of bring briefly ish, bring us home. Uh, we want to talk confessional um, really two different kind of, pieces here um and we'll, we'll tack them all together just to, to bring us home one uh i would say that people just don't understand what it means to confess something anymore uh because we, we, so we can tackle that uh so what does it even mean to confess something and then really the other piece of this is that we're trying to look outside of ourselves and they don't know how to do either of those things yeah let me let me begin with the people don't understand what it means to confess something anymore and and here's 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 what I think is our problem. Our problem is that we're in an era where it's more important how you believe something rather than what you actually believe. Mm-hmm. And so what Absolutely. I mean what I mean by that is it's more important that you hold it sincerely. Mm-hmm. You know whatever you hold authentically, just be true to yourself. Mm-hmm. Whatever you hold. Just make sure you have room for other people to have their sincerely held beliefs. Mm-hmm. So it's not that we're without a confession because that's the confession. The confession is you just need to really, really believe deeply in your heart what you believe. And you need to believe it in such a way that you have room for other people to deeply hold with deep within right. their hearts what they believe too. Right. You're saying that regardless, you have a confession. Everybody has a confession. Everybody has a confession. And yeah. that's the confession of our day. The, as, the content can be whatever it wants, it needs to be, as long as the ruling part of the confession is accommodation for other people to freely hold equally as accurate and good confessions. Right. Well, so, I, is, so I think I might disagree uh, because here I would say that they don't actually have a confession because it's not a true conviction. Uh, so I would I would go back to our definition because we might be saying the same things. I'd go like I would say that they have beliefs and they just care that you believe it sincerely. 
but it's not a conviction. It's not something that they are actually believing and trusting in. You, you that's don't, what I'm you don't think the this. rainbow people have something that's a conviction that's carrying them? I don't think it's a conviction. I think it's a conviction. Well, you, what did you just say that conviction is a, that they have faith in and believe in? It's something that they're it's actually... driving them. I think they have faith and believe in themselves. Well, that's and, the next and thing. And are acting out upon that to save, to, to be liberated, right? So I'm born, I'm, I'm trapped in a body mm-hmm. that, that I'm not supposed to be in. And therefore the salvation is for me to, to um, live my truth, right? So th- there, is, there, is the, um, there is the renewal and the new birth in a surgery and in the taking of um, testosterone or, or whatever, right? Um, and now that I'm looking to that to save me, right? And I, we might be, might be splitting hairs, but... Yeah, I think they have a conviction that holds them. Absolutely. I think everyone has a conviction that holds them. Okay. But but to take this phrase, if I could drill it down in a little bit further, people don't understand. Maybe what I would say is, Christians don't understand what it means to be confessional anymore, mm-hmm. because they've bought into the way I say things needs to make sure there's room for other people to feel validated in what they believe as well. Mm-hmm. So that means the idea for a Christian to say the exclusivity of any doctrine, even that of Jesus Christ being the only way to heaven, that they can't say it in that kind of confessional way. They can only say it in a way that says practically, well, this is what I believe, right? So even when you hear people like share the gospel now, it's more of a, well, just share your personal story, right? which, I mean, there's room to share the story which you were saved, but... um confess the gospel Mm -hmm. confess that jesus christ is the only way and say that as if there's no other option because there is no other option say christ is lord (laughs) so that's that's kind of what i'm i guess i'm getting after is that if i were then to go talk to rainbow wearing people um they can't actually have the conversation about what their so-called conviction is because as you press it and you expose the truth of the matter it's not a conviction. It's a belief because they're still looking for truth. So the fact that they don't have truth that means I don't think that they can fundamentally have a conviction. Mm. There's, and so they're holding this belief and they're doing everything they can to make it true, but it's not. And so there's no true confession. And so for us, we're then told by Paul, hold true, to, hold fast to the true confession of the faith. Right. So that for something to be a confession, true. it has to be true. I think so. Hmm. So I, I see what you're saying. And, yeah. and because, you're as, saying. I don't and because as you engage them, it falls apart. When they engage you, yours doesn't. And it's not because you know it better. Yeah, but I would th- I would thought they, we were, they believe it's true though. I thought we were operating on the definition of conviction as something that holds you, something that drives you. Molars. Sure. So in that case it didn't have to be true. Well, I don't think it ultimately can hold them. I don't think it ultimately is holding them. N- no, but they're living at they are living that creed that confession yeah right true. there is a there is a um now it's it's fickle and it's ever-changing that's yeah because that's the other piece that we have is they're tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine sure uh, because but, they're held by it right <laughs> I, I think it's, 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 it's hold, they, they well, have their own held, it will hold me fast but we didn't put a, a quantitative like duration on holding you're putting a quantitative definition on on holding. Maybe. 
I'm, you're, I'm you're saying, saying like it's got to be able to hold them for eternity, and I'm saying it can hold them for five minutes or it can hold them for five hundred years. Whole life, yeah, that's true. What I'm driving at is that their full confession falls apart as they confess. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. because it's that. not a conviction, right? Yeah. Is, is what I'm driving at, and that's why I see what you're saying. That's what I mean when I say that they don't know what it means to confess something anymore. And I think it's because of what you led with. If it, it's, and that's why then you see, you know, old scratch pizza. We love their pizza. We are evangelists of their pizza, and now they come out with rainbow shirts, and now we're right. like, hmm. I don't know what to do with you. Well, I do know what to do with you anymore, but that's the problem, right? And so, but you don't actually truly care. This isn't a conviction for you. Your conviction for you is Neapolitan pizza. Right. There's a reason that you don't do deep dish. That's your conviction. That's your mission statement. <laughs> you <laughs> we know? make good pizza. Yeah. So, like, when I look at that kind of thing in the culture, it, that's what informs me that this isn't a true conviction for you. Yeah. Uh, for for certainly for businesses, but then when I look at those people, it's that as well. So in order, in my view, at least, what I'm driving after is it actually has to be true for you to confess something. Now, I think that there's non-biblical only ways to do that because we used to see this happen particularly in, in appropriate nationalism, right, in history. Mm -hmm. So I'm British and I'm British, you know? Right. And and, and that's a, a confession, and so they will confess everything of what it means to be British. We don't have that anymore because Americanism is whatever, Right. Mm -hmm. what does it mean to be that what does it mean to be anything and and they don't know we don't have any practice confessions anymore because of that but then also with what you led with of it's how you do it not what it is mm -hmm. and i think that's huge yeah yeah let me take us to hebrews ten twenty three. let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful so when we think about confession i mean like a a public and doctrinal confession. This is what we believe to be true. Mm -hmm. This is what we are upholding. Um, but part of the problem in Christianity today, I don't mean the terrible... Uh, you can mean both. You know, I, well, them too. <laughs> is that we're super cavalier yeah. with the dealing of truth. Uh -huh. And we readily trade our doctrine in order to get along with others. Or we readily trade our doctrine to create a more impressive sense of unity. Mm -hmm. Like where which is which is largely a effeminate. Mm -hmm. And and what I mean by that is it's, it's ruled it's by a, relationship. It's a feminine sensitivity. So women tend, and this is a good thing, women tend to be in uh, relationship, do what? It's a good thing in women. It is a good thing in women <laughs> to have as a chief value uh, relationships, community, unity, those things. But it can't be at the expense of truth. Mm -hmm. And so largely we've, we trade doctrine, what those who went before us would readily die for. Yeah. We've let die mm -hmm. for the sake of being able to keep a friend. Mm -hmm. And so what happens then is we as church and, and church leaders, if you want to, like, are you part of a reformed church? Then the question is, is are the leaders willing to say what will cause division with those who don't agree? That, that's the question. Are they willing from the pulpit, in writing, in podcast, whatever, say what will cause division with a church down the road? Yeah, mm -hmm. you and, want that in your church? Yeah, that that mm -hmm. it, 
there, now there are all sorts of things that are not worth dividing over. Sure. And, but I think that list is too big. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, for sure, man. <laughs> yes, that, that is where we keep running into problems with it. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, last piece of this, I would say, and we've touched on some components of it, is that um, people don't know this because they're uh, they're not looking outside of themselves. Well, when we well, talk about being confessional, we're looking beyond us. Well, I think Hebrews ten twenty three gets at that too. Let us hold mm-hmm. fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for the feelings within inside of us are faithful, authoritatively, Amen. right? Amen. No, for He who promised is faithful, yeah. authoritatively. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Faithful to the end. We have every reason mm-hmm. to hold fast. Mm-hmm. We're not, I mean, part of the reason why people don't like to hold fast to something is because it's it's um, it's flaky or it's not dependent or it's going to not be here tomorrow. That, mm-hmm. That's why like people don't give themselves unto relationships because they're just going to leave me tomorrow, Yeah. right? So you don't hold fast to that. You kind of hold it loosely. Mm-hmm. Or people hold loosely to their jobs because it could disappear tomorrow. Well, and, and that makes sense. But our confession is not something that's going to be gone tomorrow. Yeah. Because the one who wrote the confession is faithful. The one who promised the confession is faithful. He'll be there. Yeah, amen. It reminds me of uh, Revelation 21.5. I sent this um, to somebody in my family recently to encourage them. He says, uh, and it says, and he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I'm making all things new. And I was sending that to this person to encourage them. Um, but then what you're saying, the last part, also he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. Like, mm-hmm. Write it down because it's trustworthy and it's true. It's mm-hmm. going to happen. Yeah. And I was like, I was struck by that later. Like, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's actually... That's actually the promise. I'm making all things new, and this is trustworthy and true. Why? Because he is trustworthy and true. Yeah, amen. Yeah, so do you want a church that is historically oriented, confessionally oriented? Do you want a church that's actually Christian? I think it's the, uh, <laughs> <laughs> the subtext here. I was getting ready to say, or do you want a stupid church? Well, and then I was like, that's better. Do you want a Christian church? <laughs> do you actually want a church? <laughs> do you want a church, yeah. That doesn't need qualifiers in that's front of funny, it. That's funny, that's good. <laughs> so our desire is that this is helpful in rounding out some more of just our definition. Because, man, this is the stuff that we're actually hashing out all the time yeah. when it, when it yeah. comes to this. So. With that, we want to encourage you to go know, love, and obey Jesus as Lord over all. And, Jeff, what hymn you got for us? We'll see you next time. Oh, um, <laughs> sorry. Uh, you caught me off guard. Uh, oh, I already did a hy- one hymn. Give us verse two. Um, uh, praise him for the kingdom. Uh, praise him for his grace and mercy to our fathers in distress. Praise him for his grace and favor. I cannot remember the rest. Amen. <laughs> but he can <laughs> But Jesus can, because he is faithful and true. And sovereign. Amen. (laughs) See you guys.